In the name of Jesus, amen. The, The question that we face tonight is this question. What is the Lord's Supper? We call this by many different names. It's called the Lord's Supper. It is called communion or the sacrament of the altar or the Eucharist, things like this. But it's all the same thing. What is this that we have here on the altar to receive uh, in our mouth, the bread and the wine? What is this? Well, there are three basic views of what this is. The first view is what we would call the memorialist view. And it is uh, that the Lord's Supper is a symbol. Uh, A symbol where we pretend or imagine for it to be Christ, the body and blood in memory. That we think of his passion, we think of this, and this is something that takes place in the mind or the memory. So this is the memorialist view. Uh, The second view is the spiritual view. And this is that uh, it is the divine spirit Uh, uh, the spiritual body of Christ, of Jesus, who is with us in the Lord's Supper. It is not uh, his body and blood, but a spirit. Uh, And the third view is this, that it is the true body and blood of Christ under the bread and the wine, instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And that third view is the biblical view. That is Jesus' view of the Lord's Supper. That is God's view. And this view we call, uh, this biblical view, uh, is the the view that, uh, and the teaching that we have here in the Lutheran Church. Uh, This is um, the the view of the Lord's Supper that we have. we call this, there's a fancy word in Latin, it's called the unio sacramentalis, which means, uh, it's Latin for the sacramental union. Uh, it's where two things are becoming one. So you have Christ's body and blood on the one hand, and then you have bread and wine on the other hand, and they are now, in this union, one thing. It is not pretend, it is not spiritual, only is not changed into, it's not that the bread ceases to be bread or that the wine ceases to be wine, but both and are there at the same time. That it is truly bread and yet it is truly the body of Christ. It is truly wine and it is truly the blood of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This sacramental union uh, says that Jesus joins himself and makes himself present. Uh, This isn't an idea that we're imposing into Scripture, but something we draw out of the Scriptures. And so we've given it a name uh, for for shorthand so that we can talk about it. But it is that Christ is completely and truly there, fully, completely, in his body, in bread and wine. Um, So what you do with the bread is correctly said of the body, the body of Christ. The bread and the body are so united in this way that they are received with the mouth in one undivided act. So it's one thing. And the question is why? Why do we believe this? Why do we teach this? Why do we confess this? Well, it's simply because it came from the lips of Jesus himself 
when on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body. So where does this theology come from? Well, it comes from the Lord himself who said it. Uh, so we receive then not just bread and wine, but Christ himself. Now, I know that there are objections to this. Uh, many will object or ridicule or mock this teaching uh, or doubt or try to reinterpret uh, the words of Jesus here. But again, I want to emphasize that these words come straight from the lips and the mouth of Christ, the Son of God. He said it. He said, this is my body, and then the world says, well, how could this be? So they mock and they laugh at this. Uh, my response to this is uh, the, the following, that I want to show you a biblical account of this sort of scoffing attitude toward God's word. There are plenty of examples in the Bible, so you can find them in the scriptures, but I only have time for one tonight. And I'm just going to show you this one example. And I think that this, in my opinion, this is the quintessential example of incredulity, of unbelief and doubting what Jesus says or what God says. And the example here is uh, from Genesis chapter, starting at chapter 17, Abraham and Sarah. So this is lengthy. I'm taking portions of the text, but I'm going to read this for you. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be at 99. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, which is plural in, in Greek, for I have made, or in Hebrew, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Later on, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. And that shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety-nine years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live, for, uh, live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then later on it says, They said to him, uh, to, to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent at the door behind him. And this is the point. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. 
which means she cannot have children anymore for a very, very long time. She hasn't been able to have children. Uh, she was barren. And then it says, so when Sarah heard this, she laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord, my Abraham, is old, shall I have pleasure, the pleasure of a child? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, but she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And then later on it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. As he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son uh, Isaac, who was uh, born to him, whom Sarah bore for him. Um, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have, to have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. That's the account. That, I think, is the perfect example for what's going on when people question the words of God and what he said regarding the Lord's Supper. Sarah was a Christian who believed in God, but she rejected this specific word of God that sounded preposterous to her. It was ridiculous to her. A good amount of Christians believe in God, but then they doubt his word, these, the specific promises that he makes. And the question is, why? Why do you accept these promises and then reject these over here? There are Christians who believe that, the, that God himself created this world in six 24-hour days by speaking, and it was done. He said, let there be light, and out of nothing there was light. He, they believe that God became incarnate, took on flesh, was made man. He sweat. He, he sweat uh, uh, drops of blood. He, he wept. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He slept. They believe also that this same God who took on flesh died and was resurrected from the dead. They believe this God, they believe Jesus when he told a, a, a man who was paralyzed, young man, I say to you, pick up your mat and walk, and he did. And they trust in the words of Jesus when he said to a storm, he told the storm, be quiet, and it was quiet, and it was still. And they believe the words of Jesus when he says, Lazarus, come out, and then a dead man walked out of the tomb four days later, four days after he died. But when this same Jesus says, take and eat, this is my body given for you, they laugh and doubt. And the question is, well, why? why? Why is this happening? When Sarah doubted the word, all God did was he repeated it again and again and again. Uh, that's all I'm going to do as your pastor. I'm going to tell you what God said 
again and again and again. I'm going to point you back to the scriptures and point you to Matthew, to Mark, to Luke, to 1 Corinthians and show you the words of institution, the words of Christ himself that he says, take and eat, take and drink over and over again. When God told Abraham, another example here, when God told Abraham, sacrifice this son, the one that you couldn't bear or bring forth. Now take the son and sacrifice him. Abraham could have objected and he could have explained it away and he could have come up with all these reasons and said, well, you know, the fifth commandment says you shall not murder. So you know what? I'm not going to do what you said, God. Or um, sacrifice. Maybe what God meant when he said sacrifice Isaac was he meant a spiritual sacrifice of Isaac or, or a symbolic sacrificing of Isaac. No. What did Abraham do? He didn't depart from the natural and proper meaning of the words of God. He didn't reinterpret them to fit his mind or his agenda. God said to Abraham, you'll have a son. And he had a son. God said to Abraham, sacrifice your son. And Abraham said, I will sacrifice my son. Why? Because those are the words that came out of your mouth. I imagine that in that time, there were many doubts that crossed Abraham's mind. But in the end, he kept the word over and against his mind and his feelings and his experience and his reason. He held the word of God up and said, that then the Lord knows more than I do. That then is truth and let God be true and every man a liar. The point is this, if Abraham didn't depart from the natural and proper meaning of the word of God with things that are seemingly even more difficult and seemingly more impossible, why should we depart from the natural and proper meaning of Christ's words to us? The reality is that we all have a sort of Sarah in us. Uh, the nature of Sarah in us that doesn't want to yield to God's word or to him. A sinful part of us that wonders and argues with God and laughs at what he says and finds it absurd. But God says to us, as he said to Sarah and Abraham, why are you laughing in your heart? Is anything too difficult or impossible for God? Is anything? Is the Lord's Supper, that Christ is truly present there, is that too difficult for God, the God of the universe, to do? Is that too difficult or impossible for Him to do? The reality is, dear saints, that whatever God says, He can do. And He does. I and nobody else, not even the angels of heaven, can tell you how. But only that He does. That his word is true, it has been true, it is true, it always will be true. That this world and everything in it will pass away, but his word will remain. If this is the way Jesus says that he will be with you, 
when he says, I will be with you always. And then he gives the, very, uh, his, the, the, the Lord's Supper, his very body and blood for you. And when he says, this is the way I will be with you. This is the way I will forgive your sins. This is the way I will uh, rescue you from this veil of tears. If that's what the Lord says, then that is then how it will be. And nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth can change what the Lord has said. Jesus has found a way to get himself to you. He has found a way to take what he has done on the cross and bring it to you here today. What he's done on the cross is not there on the cross anymore. It is with him. It is his body, his blood. And he brings that to you week after week, every Sunday. This is not some figurative body that he gives you. If it is some figurative body, then he's figuratively with you. And if he's figuratively with you, then it's some figurative forgiveness that you have. A sign of forgiveness. But this is his true body. Which means he is truly with you. He is here with you in his word, in his body and blood. And if he is truly with you and you have him, then you have everything he won for you, which is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus accomplishes what he says far beyond what you and I can ever comprehend or imagine. <clears throat> the Lord's Supper is Christ's true body and blood under the bread and the wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of our sins. I want to close by uh, reading to you a few verses of the hymn that we opened this service with. Hymn 619. And this is what we sang. Thy body given for me, O Savior, thy blood which thou for me didst shed, these are my life and strength forever. By them my hungry soul is fed. With thee, Lord, I am now united. I live in thee and thou in me. No sorrow fills my soul delighted. It finds its only joy in thee. Who can condemn me now? For surely the Lord is nigh who justifies. No hell I fear, and thus securely with Jesus I to heaven rise. Though death may threaten with disaster, it cannot rob me of my cheer. For he who is of death the master, with aid and comfort ever is near. My heart has now become thy dwelling, O blessed Holy Trinity. With angels I thy praises telling shall live in joy eternally. Lord, may thy body and thy blood be for my soul the highest good. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <laughs>